0: And welcome, one and all, if anyone ever actually hears this, to be determined, uh, to Vizur Please, A Hateful Voyage Through the Delta Quadrant. Um, My name is Joseph, and my co-host Peter and I uh, are looking very much forward to going episode by episode through uh, the seminal television program, Star Trek Voyager, for for better or for worse.
1: Looking forward to is a gross exaggeration. Uh, I will say up front that Voyager was on the bottom of my list for uh, topics, Star Trek shows for us to watch. My... My card was thrown in the hat of actually jumping into uh, the Orville. (laughs) You know,
0: I've only watched one episode of the Orville so far, and I can already say with confidence um, it's probably a better Star Trek television show than Voyager. But uh, that said, I think Voyager presents – you and I are long-term Star Trek fans, and we have some some background in podcasting on top, and we've wanted to do this for a long time. And we – they wound up picking yeah, Voyager, what, I think, because it provides us so much material.
1: Yeah, uh, my my strength is definitely in uh, next-gen. I would say I'm a next-gen whiz kid. Uh, the other Star Trek properties, not so hot. And I would say Voyager is probably the one I've seen the least of. So a uh, good opportunity here to cover some ground I've never explored before, but I know damn well uh this is gonna be a bumpy ride and um i'm gonna be real mad when we start getting to these bad episodes joe i'm gonna hold you personally accountable.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, th- granted they are coming
1: i'll tell you it's a, it's a different world that is for damn sure uh before we go any further i'd like to throw our disclaimer in there uh if you found your way to us for a star trek podcast Uh, Welcome If you found your way to us for some comedy, double welcome. If you found your way to us for uh, a loving and respectful uh, dissertation on the Voyager property, turn back. We're certainly coming at this from from a direction of two guys who love Star Trek and who can talk a lot about Star Trek. Uh, But more importantly, we're coming after this for some... uh, Below the belt, punching to the Voyager groin area. I believe that would be the main deflector dish region. Um, but uh, yeah, th- this is going to be a. I would say we're going to rate this R. Yeah, well, I I plan on throwing some F bombs. I
0: out. I would say rated R for sure because we're going to talk a whole ration of shit um, about all of the stupid '90s television tropes.
1: Yeah, if you're driving to your in-law's place and it's going to be a two-hour drive and the kids are in the car, this probably isn't the right podcast for you.
0: It's January of
1: 1995. Hey, I'm in high school. Where'd all this acne come from? (laughs)
0: Uh, I am in uh, junior high still, and Mm. it's hard to conceive of it now, but this was a period in time when Star Trek, when it came to, like, pop culture ascendancy among science fiction, like – uh, uh, franchises. It was ascendant. It was the big dog. This is pre uh, prequel movies for Star Wars. Outlets pre uh, special edition releases. Um, there the Star Trek had, had had a huge success with TNG. Uh, you know it had wrapped just the year before. got nominated for uh, an Emmy uh, for for best series, which uh, for a syndicated show like the net, that never happens. Um, there was – DS9 had launched two years prior. It was going – it had started it to –
1: starting to hit its stride for sure. It
0: started its climb up and Star Trek was a, was BFD. It was a big fucking deal and Voyager was the next kind of stepping stone in the Star Trek franchise that was really growing in popularity. The TNG movies were coming. Generations was was going to be coming out soon. All this other stuff was was happening and Voyager enters the scene.
1: Voyager's big deal too was that it got back to the classic formula. Um, you know, I never really sunk my teeth into Deep Space Nine, and I think there was a, a resentment to a certain degree that it was a static environment. You were on the space station, and it started exploring some very, dark subject matter that strayed far from the, uh, the Gene Roddenberry vision. So, getting back in the captain's chair with you know the nacelles behind you and and boldly going. Uh, was was a an important return back to the original formula.
0: Right. And you know, Berman wasn't all that – Rick Berman, the executive producer of kind of the Star Trek canon at that time for the majority of its, if its period post-Roddenberry to the end of Enterprise, uh, wasn't all that involved with DS9. He was super in on TNG and then he was super in on Voyager. And it's probably why DS9 managed to separate itself a little bit in terms of its tone – and Voyager was intended to be more a show in the sort of Roddenberry uh, uh, part of the canon. Um, the problem for the show was that, as as we're going to f- discover almost immediately, Next Generation was incredibly popular, not just because of the Star Trek formula or how the writing or or the quality of the directing or the effects. It was it was as good a show as it was because of the quality of the actors on it.
1: I- and at certain times, the the lack of quality in the actors, the, the right kind of bad. Uh, Next Gen clawed itself out of the grave like some sort of George Romero zombie. Uh, you know, the, the franchise had been dead for so long, uh, and really, Next Gen started at square one and... And focused heavy on world building, um, would next gen ever have floated in today's TV environment? Absolutely not. I think past canceled canceled reform.
0: episode three for sure. Uh,
1: episode two, man, the the <laughs> Tchaikovsky virus naked now is just miserable. And and that's you know that's a big thing. Uh, I I've been dragging my wife by the hair through this journey of Star Trek, uh, <laughs> and whenever bringing you know someone new into the world. You know the question you always have to ask yourself is where do I start? Because season one was so bad, uh, and trying to get someone excited about a show with season one is is a miserable experience. Now, if you're looking for a, a comedy podcast, season one is gold. Yeah, and, um, and I think
0: the important thing though is that TNG managed to to pull itself out of there, and it pulled itself out of there because Patrick Stewart's like cheat codes for acting. I mean, he's, he's sure. a good enough actor that he makes bad dialogue sound great. And, yeah. you know, when you've got TV writers, sometimes you need somebody who can do that. And then in DS9, mm-hmm. uh, they had better writers. I mean, Ron Moore really, like, took a bigger uh, role in that show. Ron Moore, later of Battlestar Galactica fame, he can write. Hey, hey. And so even though DS9 didn't have as many great actors on it, it had better writing. So it kind of balanced out. Voyager, um, Jerry Taylor and Micro Pillar are not Ron Moore, and Rick Berman has his own problems when it comes to being a little too cleveland, too close to to Roddenberry's best and worst instincts, and so it didn't have the super strong writing core the DS Nine might have, and then the actors they got were really hit or miss.
1: I'm gonna tell you right now uh, the the title I think we need to have. <laughs> Oh, for this episode, for for this episode, uh, because this is what this literal episode literally was for me was a goddamn shit show. <laughs> All right, uh, so we started discussing about doing this podcast. It was originally supposed to be a TNG podcast. We discussed how many years ago?
0: Oh, uh, I'd say six years ago.
1: Six years ago, and and only now have we finally realized uh, the 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 idea that we had had come up with. Um, so. I had to get myself excited about the the idea of going in and watching this, and really, really stoked a fire to give a shit about this this series um, and get myself excited. I my wife got so mad because I dragged us to three or four different half price books on a quest to try and find a spiral bound Star Trek notebook, ideally a Voyager one.
0: That is dedication. <laughs>
1: Dedica- Dude, I'm sitting.
0: There. That's dedication to a, a detail no one else is going to fucking see, too.
1: She's like, What do you care? Just grab one of these other. I almost grabbed a first order uh, Star Wars composition book when I was like, No, I, I need a spiral. And she's like, What do you care? No one's ever going to see this. And I'm like, We're talking about potentially a very big investment of my life. And if I'm going to sit here and watch seven seasons of 45 or 52 minute episodes, uh, I need to have. Something coming out of this that I can put on the shelf and say, uh, "That's that's hours of my life."
0: <laughs> Here's a memento of all the time of, that I – that finite time on this earth I wasted watching this terrible television show.
1: To no one's surprise, I was not able to find a uh, any sort of a Star Trek uh, notebook. So um, not even Discovery. Yes,
0: I guess that really that's not really Star Trek, but
1: and it's certainly not going to be on Walmart shelves. Let me tell you that. Um, so. You know, I, I, and I'm gonna drag my wife into this with me too because uh, I need someone there sitting on the couch keeping me sane while this is going on. So we were supposed to watch it on uh, the third, and then there was a little uh, fight in the house. So instead, we started watching it on the fourth. Finally, get the family locked in to start dragging them through this. And I got the baby down at my feet, and all of a sudden, we got to start pumping the uh, the warp breaks here because I looked down. And I think this was kind of, uh, a, an omen of what was to come. As I look at my sock, the baby is down at my feet crawling around and I'm like, oh my God, the baby is bleeding. There is blood all over my sock. So I quickly pick the baby up, you know, my wife pauses it and, and we go to look and I'm turning the baby around looking and, uh, there is no wounds on her. I'm like, what the hell? Um. Back in the black and white days, these vampire movies, they would use chocolate syrup instead of blood. Right. Because in black and white, in dim lighting, it looked just like blood. Mm-hmm. So there the baby was in the dimly lit floor. What I thought was blood was, in fact, baby poop that had squirted <laughs> out of her diaper. <laughs> my sock, my jeans, the carpeting, my work shirt, the ba- all of the baby, because I had been spinning around frantically looking for a wound, now covered in shit. <laughs> So Star Trek Voyage had to stop for uh, me to scrub poop out of the carpet as I contemplated what I was doing with my life and should I go any further. Uh, I mean, and- I, I'm,
0: not, I'm not a spiritual man, but someone is trying to tell you something. <laughs>
1: Yes, they were. As I quickly came to realize. I mean, the, so, the episode uh, starts
0: with a with a text crawl, which you know is always oh that's always God. strong. It's always just you know a, a quick three paragraph text crawl to tell us about the world's worst terrorists, the Maquis.
1: So, dude, right off the bat, like the the fucking the, the text crawl starts, and immediately I, I pause the TV and start furiously writing in my notebook. My wife's like, "What? What?" And I'm like, "This is going to be a long night. Just chill out." So there you are, your Star Trek, and how do you open your brand new franchise? Well, with a Star Wars-grade text crawl, of course.
0: Now, I mean, DS9 did the same thing, but they framed it. Oh, did they? They did, but they framed it in in essentially the unseen battle of Wolf 359. So it's a text crawl to be like, hey, this is what's about to happen. And then you see the battle of Wolf 359 from Cisco's perspective – which made sense because it's 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 establishing something we've already seen in a in a prior show, and so they they did another text crawl to set the scene for this first shot. Except this isn't something we've seen before. These are all new people. We have no context for any of this aside from the fact that they're the Maquis, who are the worst terrorists of all kinds. Like why the fuck I, I, the Maquis are a terrible idea? They always were. The whole idea behind them is that they're these terrorists that are angry that the planets they used to live on belong to the uh, Cardassians that, now, right? Like, that's their concept. I, I,
1: I believe that the text crawl specifically labeled the Maquis as unhappy. It's we, the, They're not angry. They're just unhappy.
0: The 24th century has unlimited everything, right? Yeah. It's a utopian society. These guys could have just moved to any other planet, had whatever they wanted. It's it's there's no no loss at all aside from pride and moving from the planet they're on. But they're like, nah, never mind that. We're just gonna be terrorists instead, and live in poverty yeah. and risk our lives over l- real estate that does not matter because we have super technology. It's the stupidest yep. fucking thing. They should not exist.
1: And the Maquis was a, you know, it was a concept that's been played with heavily through Next Gen and DS9. So, I mean, it's a known quantity. Um, you know, there have been some opportunities, I think, to have some Maquis stories that matter. The, uh, what was the episode of TNG where Picard and, it's the one where Wesley goes off and becomes a a demigod.
0: Right, with the Traveler, yeah. That was that was a similar, I mean, there was, they started the whole Maquis thing in, in TNG was out.
1: that a t- was that a Maquis essentially outpost? Because you know the some sort of Native American tribe was there, and then they started giving uh, Picard shit because one of his ancestors made a move during American colonization or something. Uh, did they actually end up being Maquis?
0: That episode, in a large part, kind of describes the Maquis beef with the yeah. Federation, like that they're being told to move. In fact, let's. Chakotay, who's the very first person we see, very first character right. we experience. His whole backstory is that his his tribe lived on a planet that was going to fall under cons- uh, uh, Cardassian control. So, sort of well, was back. it that
1: Picard? Was it that Picard uh, traveler colony? Because I thought that would have been a pretty cool link. Up. I don't think
0: they ever linked that directly, but I guess we'll see as we go. Why through would
1: it. you squander that opportunity? So, so many stupid decisions, man. Um, so you get through the text crawl and then you see another stupid scene. So you've got a, uh, and a, forgive me. I'm not familiar. What, what, what's that Cardassian warship class? class? You know? That's right. Yeah. Gaylor class. Yeah. And it's going ham on what looks like some sort of sci-fi original <laughs> fighter jet.
0: It, it's, it's, it, you know, it's like beating up on like the, the 94 trans am that your white trash neighbor drives.
1: Right. Yeah. And and immediately I'm like, so you got a Galore-class uh, heavy cruiser, which w- would give the Enterprise-D a run for the money on numerous occasions in TNG. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last big war that the Federation was in was the Federation-Cardassian War, right? That was Benjamin Maxwell, that, that whole um, – uh, Miles O'Brien, like there was a lot of bad blood still in the Federation towards the Cardassians because this was such a fresh wound.
0: Yeah, they they, they spent enough time kind of harping on that. To, it's pretty well known, I think, to anyone that had a casual acquaintance with Star Trek at this point.
1: So, you know, you've got the Federation, which at the beginning of TNG was like kind of neb. I, I, you know, the, the role of the Federation in the universe – Sometimes they seem like they're this big omnipresent force. Sometimes it seems like they're just you know, shoulder to shoulder with uh, the Romulans and the Klingons and apparently the Cardassians. If the Cardassian Empire gave them such a hard time during that war, you know, you got all these big Federation ships, these galore's terrible. Here, here's the galore versus uh, a Firebird from the '80s, and they just can't fucking win, man. They just
0: can't quite blow up this Transam like. You know they just they just need him to get him on the freeway and the 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 fucking catalytic converter and that thing's gonna blow. But here they are, they're chasing these guys. The sure. first shot we see inside the 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 Trans Am is Chakotay. Um My wife, I, you know, I took my my cues from you. I decided that if I'm going on this journey, I, I would like company uh, to preserve my sanity. So my wife and I are watching this. And his line delivery is so flat in this crisis situation. My wife looks over and is like, please tell me he's one of the people who dies in this episode. I was like, oh, baby.
1: <laughs> I got <have> bad,
0: bad <laughs> news for you.
1: So so two things are going on here. I'm watching this on Netflix, right? First of all, I got the big black bars on the sides, and I'm immediately reminded, oh, Voyager's not important enough to have gotten the HD revamp well, yet. I, this is going to be They're miserable. probably not going to
0: even do an HD revamp of DS9. So Voyager is absolutely going to be left out in the cold.
1: Well – And us along with it. So I got these huge black bars, and it just looks like crap on my TV. And what looks even worse than this low-resolution bullshit are the clothes they got these guys wearing. If there's one thing Star Trek has always missed the mark on, it is trying to present the fashion of the future in any light other than complete disgusting puke fest. I mean, it
0: was some classic 1995 sci-fi clothing. I mean, like you said, it's not like Star Trek's ever done – quote civilian clothes very well but these guys look like like lost waiters at a fucking rainforest cafe these like these weird mismatched earth tones all over
1: ugh it it looks like carpet burns for my eyes though the one guy some jerk off in the background who would go on to like have a very wicked, smoldering look uh, of disgust at Tom Paris. He's he's one of their randos. I figured he was going to die in this episode. But he's back there with, like, literally, like, an umpire's, like, protective chess piece.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's... it's if, like, if there was an umpire at a baseball game in the Mad Max universe, it would have been him.
1: With some Fallout 4 thrown in there. Like, get the you hell out of here. You know what's funny man. about that
0: random dude in the back, you noticed? Who's, like, in the background as, like, the extra Maquis guy in every, like, scene in this episode?
1: That... That's the guy I'm talking about. That dude
0: about. is a constant extra for seven seasons. Like, he never talks. He never gets lines. But he's always, like, standing in the background somewhere.
1: Uh, I'm going to call ahead and say that's a relation to a producer or someone who has some juice over At, there. I,
0: you know, we'll have to do research. But he if, he is a consistent background extra through the years. So this is his first, his, you know, he has a strong visual open. With his Mad Max, I'm telling you, he's gear. got
1: like, he's got like some yeah umpire geared like flat out on there. How big you think? Eh, we're 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 getting dragged down in the minutiae here, but I mean, how many people could realistically be on that ship? Because I count six. I mean, so it's it's interesting. White trash,
0: you know, can fit like twelve people in one of those Transams if you try hard. So if we're assuming that the Maquis are basically classless white trash of the galaxy, you you say it's seed six, maybe eighteen.
1: So if they get lost in this nebulon cloud, blah blah blah, and then they jump into the opening. Well, well let's, so, let's you,
0: before that, we we have to we have to preface that they go into the Badlands, and which is this big like plasma storm, that, storm. that has like spawn yeah. the movie level effects. They're gonna make it, and then all of a sudden they just kind of get scanned by something, and then there's a white flash, and then they cut the title sequence. That's where we leave it. The title sequence for this show. I think is probably my favorite among Star Trek. I know it doesn't have the classic musical themes that, from, from the original series or TNG or a narration, but visually, it's beautiful. It's, it's well composed. I like the music overlay. It's really nice.
1: Here's what's always stood out to me, and I think it encapsulates a lot of uh, Voyager and a lot of my complaints with it You know, when this thing initially came out. One of the ongoing jokes about Star Trek for me has always been... Hey, look, uh, we got this uh, starship and we're supposed to be doing some stuff out there. Oh, hey, there's something weird and uh, could be dangerous. Let's go fly through. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm watching this and they're flying through like gas clouds and, you know, uh, rings around whatever and the black hole showing, and the fire They were star. showing off
0: that they were doing CGI effects. That's what they were doing. It looked good for 1995. And, hey, the Orville's opening is very similar. So –
1: Yes, so, it is. It's an important thing you've said here. It was this was you know, this was pretty deep in the CGI territory. I don't know if they made any real practical models, um, and while it did, in a lot of times look really sweet at the time, uh, a lot of the CG does not hold up at all. And again, we're not coming into you know a series where we've got people. I got to knock the rust off. This is two solid Trek products preceding it. All seven series or seven, uh, yeah. Uh, seasons of tng two seasons of ds9 Uh, voyager's coming out like the baby of the family and at this point the family's really established itself and babies you know the the third child the youngest child they're not driving the old 87 buick park avenue that grandpa will do like they're getting handed like porsche keys like this is a spoiled child coming in with like the table set and silver spoons ready to go. I mean, go. yeah, when
0: TNG started, there was like all these miniatures. Hell, all the way through TNG, they had, they were doing all these miniature shots and all this. And like, I mean, right off the bat, these guys are using a lot of CG uh, to to make this show, and they will th- throughout. And uh, um, you know, it, all, it goes to to the fact that this was a network anchor. This was the network anchor for UPN. It wasn't syndicated, Whoa, UPN. so like this, the, the, their Paramount was trying to get in the TV, and they were counting on this show being a BFD, and so they were sparing yep. no expense. I mean, the sets look good. They they carried over the uh, the uniforms from the DS Nine era,
1: you know. All, we'll get into uniforms later. It all looks good. And, I got some I got some beef there. So um, that, our, our next so, you scene know, starts. Uh, well, hold on, before we jump off. So you know they they've shown the. You know, the biggest character, you know, you got to consider these hero ships to be characters in the episode, uh, in the episodes. You know, what, what are your thoughts on Voyager, the intrepid class? Well,
0: let's, let's wait till we actually see the ship because we're, we're still a couple scenes away from actually seeing the damn thing. Uh, because the next the next scene cuts to a like a like an aerial shot of New Zealand and and says they're yes. at, a, at a New Zealand penal, penal colony.
1: All right. Federation penal colony. Open your mouth wide because here's a big pill to swallow. And
0: we we focus back down to some people working in in jumpsuits in a suspiciously Southern California looking climate. Uh, no, that's New Zealand. <laughs> with with uh, a, a shot of Tom Paris, the baddest boy in the in the in the Federation. Um, and let me tell you, if this is prison in the twenty fourth century, it is the softest time that anyone could ask to do. It's like apparently we've evolved prison to be prison for you know for white people, for, but now it's for everyone in the twenty fourth century because this looks awesome. This looks like Club Med. This looks like a vacation.
1: Uh, do we want to talk about Tom Paris as a character here? Yeah, real quick? I mean
0: the the apocrypha on on this is pretty well known. Um, yeah. You know, Robert Duncan McNeil, uh, was a guest star in an episode of TNG, uh, when he played a, a cadet that was
1: Nicholas Larkano. Nicholas Locarno was L- a cadet
0: responsible for a terrible piloting accident that Wesley was involved in. And he basically tried to, you know, motherfuck everyone in the lying about it. And, you know, everyone learns their lesson at the end and he gets fucked over. Except right. for him. And they originally intended Tom Paris to be Nicholas Lacano. And played by the same guy, but they realized they'd have to pay royalties to the writers for that episode for every episode Tom yep. Paris would, this character would appear in, in Voyager. So they instead made Tom Paris, who is a carbon copy of the same character. Right down to a very now, similar the, backstory.
1: The, the big, uh, you know, sell you know, to the, the public was, uh, Not you know they couldn't go forward like well we don't want to pay these old writers from some old TNG episodes so they said that uh, Nicholas was at his core unredeemable and bad whereas you know they needed someone who had some warmer qualities and and could be a hero. I think
0: and I think there's a a scene later on the episode and we'll get to it you know when uh, we'll discuss when we get to it that sort of suggests the key alteration they made to his backstory to to encompass that but. We get Tom Paris. We get the hero shot of Tom, and and the camera pans up, and we hear uh, a female voice asking. About
1: a gravelly, a deep, I, you know, a deep voice, raspy. I, that's that's always been the hard thing for me to get around with Kate Mulgrew and that voice.
0: You know, it 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 befits a, a woman of command. You know, she doesn't. She's she's got a voice that that. Suggests she's done things with her life, you know, that she's she's seen some shit. And uh, the camera pans up and there we have our intrepid captain, Catherine Janeway, uh, asking to talk to him. And they have a, a Sorkin walk and talk where Janeway says, I knew your dad. I served on a ship with him. And Tom Paris is and here's playing some- it too cool, you know, too cool for school. Like, you know, I guess that means I got to talk to you because you're going to, you know, you're my – parole officer said I have to or something like that.
1: Uh, you know, here's my cockamamie reason for being here and trying to drag uh, a felon on a very dangerous mission. Like, what... I'm really glad they put in that, you know, she served with his dad. And do they ever flesh out like, his dad put some real juice into trying to get Janeway to bailing this guy out of prison for some ridiculous search and destroy mission?
0: I don't recall that they ever address... Other than uh, this issue, other than what Janeway says in this scene, which is, "Hey, Tom Paris, baddest man in the Federation, baddest boy." Um, we were trying to find some Maki terrorists, and hey, you were a Maki terrorist, and he's like, "Yeah, but just for like for a couple weeks, so I just part timed, you know, picked it up like as a side. Mm-hmm. He was like an Uber driver for them, you know, yeah. just a little logged into the app, did a little terrorism, and then got busted like straight away." So he's like, what What good am I to you? And he's like, well, you're better than anybody else we can find. You, you know, it's like you know something about them. Uh, so I'm looking for this ship because it's got my security chief on it. And it's got this guy we're looking for, Chakotay. And it, that gets Tom's attention.
1: Can we talk about the mission at this point? Yeah. So – So you got these Maquis who are, quote unquote, unhappy and they're causing problems. And the, you know, Cardassian Empire of Terror that was able to give the Federation a run for the money where they had to come to an uneasy uh, truce that can't seem to stomp these fucking Maquis out.
0: Right. Uh,
1: You know, so the Federation is going to consider this a security issue. Uh, You know, I want to talk about the ship assignment. The Intrepid is brand new. The Pathfinder ship was barely a year off of uh, Utopia, Planitia, Dry Docks – or not Dry Docks, but Space Docks. So this thing's like brand new and is the epitome of Federation technology, right? I believe uh, they classify the, the Intrepid and the Voyager as a long-range explorer vessel. I mean we, so, we,
0: we, we see it here in the next shot. Like after uh, – the next shot we have is on a shuttlecraft –
1: uh, a Type Six shuttlecraft. I was very happy to yeah, see that. like the, the tiny
0: one. You know, with like a bunk bed in the back. In perhaps the greatest tragedy of the episode, uh, of the series, just macking at at maximum velocity on on Lieutenant Sati, uh the uh, the the helmswoman of the vo- of Voyager, who's a uh, apparently
1: the Beta Z Helmswoman, the second hot Beta Z to be presented to the Star Trek viewer uh, base. Yeah, she's a, she's a, she's a babe. Um she wasn't. I thought she had solid action. I mean she chops. could. I mean we
0: barely got to, to know anything about her, but um uh Tom yeah. Tom Paris got to know enough apparently because he is he is trying hard to hit that a little too hard, a little too aggressive. So she is she's resisting his charms, but then they have the sort of hero reveal of the ship. And Voyager, like you said,
1: like Yeah, in case you weren't like, paying attention.
0: Voyager's got its uh you know, like you said, it's got that fresh coat of paint on it, you know. It's 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 factory fresh.
1: Looks like a throwing knife. I've always thought. What I'm going to say right up front: the the movable pylons still stupid. I've never been able to get behind them. I think they look dumb. Um, you know, you've got the traditional Star Trek hero ship look: a saucer like section, a, a deflector dish, flanking nacelles, and um, and you know, again, it's it's Star Trek getting back in the saddle. One of the things that rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know, made me kind of question, was that, you know, Deep Space Nine being the one exception where it's uh, the underdog facility, yeah, it's, right? Yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's not even a Federation facility. It's, a, it's like a, a broken down old Repurp- repurposed Cardassian space station.
1: It was a mining yes. facility, I think. Uh, you know, Star Trek's always focused, with the exception Deep Space Nine, on... Uh, some sort of a flagship on some sort of a best of the best of the best, the best crew with the best technology and the best ship. And it's funny because when Voyager came out, they said, all right, this is the best ship in the fleet because TNG was out of production. You know, the, this intrepid beats out the galaxy class, but only for a year before the sovereign comes out and you've got the Enterprise E back in the saddle as, as a number one, I always kind of wish that they had a, you know, a, a space, ship series that was like hey here's a b team here's some guys that are just somewhere in the middle ranks that are yeah. doing you know and i guess that's kind of the scratch at that orville that's know, exactly what
0: i was about to say like I have also always wanted that like i was i was talking to my wife about, like i was always wanted to see like you know the the job doers of the federation like you know the dudes on like yeah. some 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 miranda class bucket who
1: you oh, know, burst. who are just
0: getting the fucking job done? You know, running weird ass cargo, or 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 or, mm-hmm. or or you know, taking VIPs from planet to planet, or or whatever. Like they're the they're the fucking jabronis of the galaxy. Uh, you know, just happy to be doing their part.
1: Which is exactly what brings me to this next. You know, the topic I started hinting at. And it's like you've got a a federation minor security task where you've got some some some. Bullshit, half-assed terrorists flying around in a an El Camino, a space El Camino. That sounds like a Miranda or maybe like a what was it the, the Nebula class that was like the galaxy like you know just some middle of the road whatever short range. Hey, go out well, here they, find they these do, guys now. They hunt do them establish down.
0: why. Like the Voyager is 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 a ship built to maneuver and to go fast, and so. The whole point of why it's being sent is it can actually maneuver in the Badlands and all the all the spawn leveled CGI uh, plasma storms. Like this ship is built. They didn't know this ship it was is built be. to move. It looks like it's built to move. You know, it's super high tech, but it's got it's only got like hundred and forty people on it and all this other stuff. So it's it's yeah. a it's it's just a small little ship that that can go and kind of dart around in there and find find the the fucking El Camino terrorists and and haul their asses back out.
1: I, I don't know, man. I don't think that they really established that they knew they were going to be in the Badlands. I mean, you, you bring that in, it's like, okay, we need something a little bit more maneuverable or whatever. But again, the, uh, the intrepid class the voyager specifically is a long-range exploration vehicle i would think you've got some long-range exploration tasks to do not some sort of multi-month project where the head of security is infiltrating a terrorist network for some long-term sting operation it it's it's a goofy fit for well, hey, look, and it's a silly know, premise
0: star trek is built on silly premises uh, we can go through tng and sure. plenty I can buy it. I can oh. buy it at the level that they're offering it at the moment. And then we cut next to a scene actually on DS9.
1: Well, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we Voyager is docked at DS9. And just like DS9 got its launch off with a some sort of a TNG import. I mean, they had Patrick Stewart on hand to hand the keys over to, to Cisco. Um I figured we were gonna get, you know, some of that and get some Cisco time in here, and instead we get better. We get
0: We get oops. Quark. So uh we we cut to Quark's bar, we get our first shot of ensign Harry Kim, who is playing the part of like fresh academy graduate on you know, his first day of the job.
1: Asian overachiever. A
0: classic Asian overachiever. Uh and he is Clarinet He's playing. Getting sold uh, uh by Quark. Uh, to buy some mementos for his 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 doting mom and dad, who we will hear about endlessly over the next seven years, and uh, Armin Shimmerman, I love I love Cork, I love Cork on DS Nine, and it's kind of sh- striking how much better an actor he is than most of the people we have seen so far. At-
1: <laughs> circles around these guys, man. It was such a painful scene, and like I pause it and. I'm like, this guy is awesome. She's like, oh, does he get to be around a lot? I'm like, (laughs) no. I think this is like one of the few times you even get Ferengi. I would say Ferengi are certainly the most historically interesting out of any of the Star Trek races. You know, for the the lascivious, shameless uh, racial stereotypes that they started off on on TNG. You know, Shimmerman actually playing one of the first that you're ever introduced to they go from these fur clad savage creatures into space bankers essentially my
0: my wife a little Um, less sensitive was like are they supposed to be space jews because they seem like they're being portrayed as space jews
1: (laughs) well they absolutely and, and and what you're getting there is like a polished final product you know the the origin was so much worse um and he throws a pretty good line, and there's like, uh, "What do you mean, you know, warned about the Ferengi?" Yeah, at the so Harry, uh, like, hey,
0: you know, like has this knowing smile, like that, like, "Oh, you're gonna try and swindle me." And he like, "Let's drop." Like, we were warned about Ferengi at the Academy, and Cork picks up on that immediately and starts making it a whole, like, "Oh, you're all space racist in the Federation now, huh?" Hold on, let me get your name. Let me get you. Let me get your badge number. I'm to uh, call your supervisor, like. To try and guilt the guy into buying, you know, some of his junk, and fortunately for Harry, uh, baddest boy in the Federation, Tom Paris, has watched this whole thing, you know, dispassionately with coffee in hand, and then just sort of rolls up and is like...
1: Swaggers And over points there. out
0: it's all junk, and um, then you could buy it at any fucking family dollar in the Alpha Quadrant,
1: and... Because he knows so much about the uh, this region of space that he's very familiar with their dollar store trinkets. Um, but, you know, the the callback to, you know, we were warned about the Ferengi, like, it's still this weird, like, at this point, they fleshed the Ferengi out so well. There's so much interaction with them and everything in the uh, Deep Space Nine, you know, where TNG it started off, like, the Ferengi were this, this big unknown. They were supposed to be, like, built out to be the biggest rivals to the Federation and, you know, basically took a role or were supposed to take a role that the Romulans would later, I think really encapsulate better. But it's still like, uh, I I don't know. Like, do you know what the frangie are? Do you not know what the frangie are? What's, what's going on back in San Francisco? What's going on back at the Academy? Why is there so much wonderment and, and mystery about these creatures? Well, you
0: know, maybe just the instructors are anti-Semitic dude. Or whatever, space anti-Semitic. Our next scene, we cut back to the uh, first shot on Voyager. I
1: was very sad to see that uh, that scene wrap. I, I would have liked Same more. Same here.
0: I mean, like, it was kind of unfair. Uh, DS9 got this very loving handoff uh, from TNG. You know, the Enterprise was there. Uh, Picard had a couple mm-hmm. scenes.
1: You know, they... They rebuilt you know, the bridge from scratch because they had already like, torn it up. They did
0: all this stuff, like, to really show the passing of the torch... You know, complete with this like shot of like Picard leaving as as Cisco like cements his command. The whole backstory of Cisco is really tied up in you know Picard and 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 Battle of Wolf three five nine and the Locutus episode and all that. And then for DS nine, they basically just shove Voyager out the airlock. They're like, "Go, go, fly, little bird!" Like you just get this one scene that they happen to be here, like fucking. You know, fueling up the ship, right? Like they got, they're getting the unleaded and they're just, you know, they're topping it off before they head into the fucking Badlands. And that's it. They're out. They're gone. Fucking DS9 might as well just be a, and, a speedway.
1: And yeah, essentially, I mean, I would think that uh, Cisco having a sit down with uh, Janeway to go over what the Voyager's mission was moving forward would have been a, a, a much better introduction to the sh- the ship and the premise. Uh, and the Maquis and everything yeah, it could have built else built into but an explanation
0: like you were wanting of why it is Voyagers out here doing this, and it could have been like something yeah. Cisco told them, or Dax, or or Kira, or anybody else, you know, in a position of authority on, on the, or even uh, I guess Worf wouldn't join this show for another season, but you know the um, the point is that they they didn't do much with it. There was just this one scene of of Quark trying to space Jew Harry Kim, and then it's over. And now we're on Voyager, and we get uh, a nice scene with uh, unnamed character. I'm just going to call him Doctor Butthole, uh, it's just the, <laughs> the 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 physician who does an impressive.
1: You know, it's going to die. An
0: impressive one scene because he gives off that hostility, that 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 hostility vibe. You know, with his body language mm-hmm. without overplaying it. You know, he has his dialogue. None of it's overtly aggressive but yet is able to perfectly portray his contempt for Tom Paris. And that's it. This is the only speaking lines this guy has on the whole series. Dr. Butthole has one glorious moment and they go off to talk uh, to, uh, to Captain Janeway.
1: I was excited about this because, you know, obviously I know enough about the series that I I know who's going to be replaced by new, new figures. Um, So the first officer, the doctor, um, knowing that they were going to be speed bumps to, to what would become the, the finalized crew. I was balls deep in these scenes, like just looking for anything, like how crappy to, to, to get cast for Star Trek and being like, all right, awesome, cool. And then being like, Oh, but you know, you're a one shot throwaway character yeah, you, you die in to the, first the series, <laughs> to the series credit though, you know, they, since they reuse actors so heavily, uh, you know, hey, uh, first officer today. Maybe you'll be the head of some major rival empire That's true. tomorrow. With
0: a eno- with eno-
1: welcome to welcome with to the
0: latex on your forehead, you can be anybody
1: on your yeah. nose. Oh, yeah. uh,
0: so we get our first like uh, uh, scene, Janeway sort of in the role as captain. But before that, uh, she's having a conversation with her her man. Uh, probably the best acting in the whole episode uh, is her having a very naturalistic relationship conversation with uh, her her fiance Mark about her dog being pregnant. So apparently, uh, yeah, you did not follow Bob's Barker's advice. Uh, this this pet was not was not spayed nor neutered. Taking care of her dog while she's off chasing white ter- white trash terrorists and. You can tell she was much more like Kate Mulgrew grew as an actor was much more comfortable with this scene because it's more like what she's done in the past than anything else she had to do in this episode. She uh she obviously uh grew into having to do all of this Star Trek sci fi techno babble stuff, but uh this scene she didn't have to do I'm gonna any say of that. She was she was very comfortable.
1: I have not put a lot of thought in about Captain Janeway, but looking back how many years? Twenty two years at this point. Looking back twenty two years, let's let's turn on the uh, SJW sunglasses and all that other stuff. I liked everything I saw out of her this episode. You look at the the previous couple uh, uh, starship captains we've had: Kirk, uh, you know, Cavalier Playboy, Picard, hard as nails. Cisco was kind of a you know uh, a taskmaster too. Her coming in with the soft lead, especially in. In private, because all the other captains, you know what you saw on the bridge is what you were seeing in the ready room for the most part. Her having this business and personal two different faces, uh, I think it worked. I I think they set uh, the tone
0: perfectly well. I I completely agree. Like it was a great. Here's a natural conversation of her, you know, living her life and it's very like normal. And she's got you know emotions and.
1: And she doesn't live in space, yeah. which that's kind of another weird thing. So you've got again the Voyager, a deep space exploration vehicle, and then you've got someone who's got a dog on Earth. Like it seems like she's a Monday through Friday on the ship, and then I live, you know, I have my life back on Earth. I'm I'm not a career is everything captain,
0: which is was kind of different. And then you've got Paris and, and Kim. They come in, and she's in captain mode. And uh, mm-hmm. you know she we, we get our uh, brief explanation of uh, gender pronoun uh, uh, address uh, in Starfleet. So they follow the old naval tradition that everyone is referred to as sir as a superior officer, man or woman, which is the case in real life. Janeway says, "I know that's the regulation. I actually don't like that." He tries, "Ma'am," he's like, "No, actually, that that's that's for special occasions. Just call me Captain."
1: Is them talking? I think that's them talking to the audience. Yeah, I mean, like,
0: it's interesting that they spent a moment to establish that. Like, I appreciate that level of detail.
1: So one of the pieces of technology that I always have a hard time with, I love it and then I hate it until we get to an episode that focuses on it and it's the holodeck. These guys that are getting transferred on, especially like bridge crew. Like, hey, I'm a fresh transfer. Okay, this is where you're going to be working. Like, uh, yeah, I know. I ran like countless simulations on on how, you know, operations on an intrepid class works. Like, yeah, these people walking, like, oh, this is my first day on the job. I've never seen any of this stuff before. Like, you, you live in a world of holodecks. How does everybody not have like extensive training into whatever job they're going to be going into? I mean, I guess
0: it, that's exactly what happens, though. Kim's credit, you know, he, he launches right into work. He doesn't need to be told how to do anything, they start in on their mission. And uh, next scene is down at the uh, the lunchroom, Federation lunchroom, half warmed over a pot of coffee next to the replicators. Tom Paris trying to get himself some fucking tomato soup up in this bitch.
1: And acting like he doesn't know what replicators taste like. Yeah, like,
0: oh, it's so terrible, replicator food, this magical <laughs> I'm, substance I'm that ba- comes out of nowhere.
1: I'm bad boy uh, Tom Paris, and I'm so excited. And the best he's going to come up with is fucking the most boring thing possible tomato soup. Like, come on, dude. Get some synthahol. Show us what a badass you are. Yeah, I know,
0: right? Like, where's your fucking secret supply for and ale? If anybody on this ship's going to sneak aboard some hooch, you'd hope it would be the baddest boy in the Federation. But.
1: Um, you know what? I, let, hold on a second here. I, I'm thinking in my head of the scene, and, and it's the first officer, and it's Dr. Asshole. Yeah, it's. Telling it's, Ensign Kim what's up. I'm going to search it right now. I bet you $5. I think that that guy who was the doctor, wasn't that Rogan and R from TNG? He was like that genetically engineered super soldier that like fucked Data and Worf up. And then...
0: Oh, like from that episode where it was like uh, uh, Farmer Haggett was the head of this planet or something? The guy from Babe?
1: I'm Jeff McCarthy. Come on, internet, go. It totally is him! Oh, nice! I fucking... <laughs> that's why I like that guy so much that's straight up Rogan and Nar man oh wow
0: well, yeah I just pulled it up too that's fucking hilarious that you spotted
1: that he fucked everybody up on the enterprise man. oh yeah. No, that guy was like he's arguably the baddest motherfucker in the universe
0: I mean he he's he's he straight up like went on the like deadliest prey st- style stocking like through a galaxy class starship for an entire episode.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Again, uh, one one episode you're a throwaway dead uh, crewmate, and uh, you know on another episode you could be the center of attention. So so good on Jeff McCarthy.
0: Well, uh, Je- Doctor Doctor Bloodhole and First Officer, uh, I think it's Cabot. We'll call him, yeah, whatever. Doesn't matter. Gonna die. Gonna die in like the next scene.
1: Uh, Not gonna matter anymore.
0: They're they're having a a soto Vasse conversation with Harry Kim who looks ashen and. Uh, it's clearly about Bad Boy Tom, so they leave. Yeah. As Bad Boy Tom approaches, and Tom sits down, he knows this conversation's happened. He's he's bad news, you know. He's that's what they're saying. He's a bad boy. You don't want to you don't wanna hang out with him. He lives across the Federation tracks, and we get the explanation you 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 alluded to earlier about the change they made to his backstory. So we 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 learn uh, from Tom's narration uh, that he was involved in a piloting accident and it was his fault. And he had lied about what happened to escape blame. Um, and he would have gotten away with it, but he actually decided to come clean um, simply because he was tortured by his conscience. So instead of trying to get a whole bunch of people to lie for him, he killed everybody. He was able to lie about what happened, but then just felt bad and then came clean and therefore got kicked out of Starfleet.
1: So, you know, things get underway And we get to the point where, you know, the the Voyager goes into the Badlands. They're scanning around. They're looking. They're looking. And then this uh, this omnipresent wave starts coming at them. And their best efforts to thwart it fail. There's something very unnatural about this thing, and they get hit. Uh, This, for me, was my biggest letdown of the episode. Here, your your well, I would say it's probably the second biggest. The Pinnacle event in forging what Voyager is going to be about is the process of getting knocked a galaxy away. They get hit by this thing. There's nothing that it, it, it was such an unimpressive accident. It was just and it was just a white flash. You know, was like, it even a flash? Yeah. I mean, it, it looked like they just hit something. There's some jostling. I mean, we're talking about something that even with full hey brace for impact kills. Tons of crew members. Well,
0: I mean, the first officer idiot dramatically, like, runs into the middle of the bridge so he can have that, like, that moment right before the flash that he is completely unprotected. But, yeah, everyone's conveniently dead when they come to that is required for the story. Uh, uh, Janeway's hair is perfectly messed, but otherwise no, she's fine. No,
1: no, no, no. Her, her hair is a mess. I mean,
0: it's perfectly a mess, though. It's, like, still framing her face even though it's messed up. know. Yeah.
1: Um, but she fixes it like, before she's in off the teleport or the transport. I, I thought that was funny. But yeah, I mean, there's no like visual thing that the, uh, the Voyager has been moved or thrown. It's just like, Hey, we hit something and, uh, and there's a bunch of dead people and wired wires all over the place. And one of the biggest accidents we've ever seen in Star Trek history uh, done on the shoestring budget. It was, it was bad. And, in- so we've got the and the biggest tragedy, the biggest tragedy. Yeah, laying at the floor, Lieutenant, our helms officer, yeah, Lieutenant
0: T is dead. Uh, rest in peace, Hadi Bet- Betazoid. Zoid. Um, the first officer is dead. Uh, they can't get any uh, uh, response back from from uh, sick bay. We get a we get a radio call up from engineering who says the engineering chief, who we never even saw, is dead.
1: <laughs> uh, that was one of my big notes I had underland. Like, gee. <laughs> You you couldn't find any sort of a an extra and just be like, here, you get to be chief engineer for two minutes. Yeah, like completely off screen.
0: Just just off screen, dead, never saw, never never And uh, you know, Harry Kim's freaking out, and why is he freaking out? Because according to his star charts, they are seventy thousand light years from their first location. They are on the other side of the galaxy. And we see on the view screen this big space station that's shooting this white laser at something. So clearly this thing is responsible in some way. So we see a, a lot of panic on the part of the crew. Janeway rushes down to engineering because she's got to make sure the, the fucking warp core doesn't fucking blow up on her first day in command or whatever. Um, and Harry can't. Cannon- and the
1: series takes another turning point. Where we've gone from one of the, the, the biggest letdowns, which was that half-ass accident, to the introduction of what I would say is, at this point, my favorite character.
0: Oh, right? it, and by far the most interesting one uh, as the series goes on. Because Harry and, and Tom, they go down the, to, to sick bay because clearly they've got a bunch of injuries. they got to figure out what the fuck is going on. They find that conveniently both the doctor and the nurse, Dr. Buckle and the R. Nurse, R. And our- are dead. Because they were standing next to a, a suspiciously explosive console, and mm-hmm. so they're completely blown big problem with those it.
1: neural gel packs.
0: And uh, so they have to activate the emergency medical hologram, and thus out of nothing manifests Robert Picardo as a just an asshole, you know, stereotypical doctor who shows up to start trying to treat patients and treat everyone like garbage.
1: 100% hollow sass.
0: Could not give a shit about everyone's problems. He tells people with obvious wounds, like, well, you're not going to die, so get the fuck out of here. Like, you don't have a concussion. You can return to your station. Like, he doesn't give a shit. He's just, he's eager to be turned off. Like, it's his thing. Like, yeah. you need to find some people to replace me. I don't want to be on for very long. You know, I've got my, I, I, I've i got my life to live in the computer banks. Yeah. I don't want any fucking part Re- of your drama.
1: When Reginald Barkley uh, programmed this guy, his uh, prime directive... Number one is to uh, watch that clock. It's it's five p.m. Can't come soon enough, man. This guy wants out.
0: He just does not want to be on. He wants to be off as much as possible. He does not want to be doing things if he doesn't have to. It's it's awesome. Um,
1: so now you know we've got a pretty solid Star Trek story up to this point. I know I've been pooping on it pretty hard, but uh, you know you've got a TNG franchise uh, friendly situation. You've got the Cardassian hostilities. You got the Maquis. You've gone on to a dangerous area pursuing them. And you know what? the making of a great pile here, where are the Maquis? What is going to happen? What are you going to do about all these dead officers? You got a really good central story. And instead of pursuing that and really fleshing it out and giving you things that people care about, they jam in this goddamn caretaker Ocampa plot.
0: Oh, God. You know what? Let's pause here because this is only the first 25 minutes of the episode and it definitely had the most interesting shit happening in it, which is why I think we've spent about an hour talking about it. Yes. And then the remainder of the remaining fucking hour and like 20 minutes of this episode is just a slow descent of all of the things that started interesting, not paying off. So join us for the next part of our discussion of Caretaker.